The following is an exclusive presentation of Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation. Welcome to the Pirate Radio Podcast, featuring special guests discussing a wide range of topics and personal stories. The Pirate Radio Podcast is presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Nothing tastes quite like it. Visit WhiteClaw.com today. White Claw Hard Seltzer, proudly distributed by Coastal Beverage. Please drink responsibly. Now live from the Pirate Radio Studio, here's Shirley Rhodes. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pirate Radio Podcast featuring ECU Chancellor Philip Rogers. The Pirate Radio Podcast is brought to you by White Claw Hard Seltzer. On today's podcast, Troy D. will talk to Philip on the state of East Carolina University and talk a little ECU football as well. Sit back and relax. Today's Pirate Radio Podcast presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer starts right now. Chancellor Rogers, great to see you in studio again. Thanks so much for joining us here. Oh yeah, Troy, it's great to be back with the Pirate Radio team in studio, and good to see you again. How many, now what is it, four, five months on the job officially? Well, if you want to know exactly, John Gilbert tells me that when we hit the six-month mark is when we can move from the dating phase to the marriage phase, so (laughs) I'm about a week out from the the marriage moment. So about half a year. About about half a year. So first of all, how's it going? So you're, you know, you're no stranger to Greenville, no stranger to ECU, but six months in now officially as chancellor. Uh, what's your what's your thoughts? Well, it's uh, it's it's everything I imagined it would be. Uh, there's been exciting moments. There have been challenging moments. Uh, you know, when I sat in this chair the last time I was here, I think it was the first week on the job, maybe yeah. the March 20th or something like that. Campus looked completely different than it looks today. It was it was tough to walk into a job on March 20th when the density on campus was very low. The the energy that you expect moving into a position like this was all found on uh, the click of a Zoom button, right? Yeah. And so, you know, it, it wasn't actually until the last couple of weeks where um, I really started to feel like the Chancellor of East Carolina University because those students are back on campus. Yeah. I could barely walk through the mall this morning uh, without running into uh, lots of students on the, on the way to their 930 classes. And man, that run in, uh, in baseball, I think that might have been the first moment where we really felt the energy of, of Pirate Nation back together. You're right. It was kind of the first good crowd back on campus. I remember standing back there with you during some of those games and catching up and then you're like, wow, this is how it should be. You know, and it was uh, that was kind of coming out of it. Now, it's a little weird time because it's still... The COVID situation, you know, you, everyone wants to put it behind us. It's still looming, but I feel it feels different this go around than last fall. Last fall, there was a panic. Everything was shut down. It seems like to me this fall, it's more we're going to try and manage this thing, this thing a little better. You, you said the perfect word is how we're, we're going to manage through it. And I, I think the reason why we feel so confident being able to manage through it is because we know how the virus moves uh, We and we know what mitigation efforts allow us to combat it in an effective way. And so obviously we're pushing masks, we're pushing vaccines, uh, but we also know when there are uh, small or even larger outbreaks, how to isolate where those are do the proper testing to ensure that we know where it's moving and then um, move it in and out and off of our campus quickly. So uh, this this business of, of having to, to transition fully online is something that we think we're past and that uh, we're going to move full speed ahead into sort of this uh, precision-based management of the virus moving forward. Now, ECU hasn't required folks, students and staff to be vaccinated. I know it's something you guys recommend. I saw you all put out the vaccination percentages, I think, earlier this week. Close to 50% of the students that have come back on campus are, are vaccinated. Students who live in residence halls, it's about 60%. And employees 
who've been asked uh now this they say 76 percent of your staff has been vaccinated so i know you know I, you feel good about those numbers and love to see them increase even more yeah and, and we have seen them increase over the over the last week we've seen about a 10 percent increase in the students so you know, almost 60% in the residence halls. That's a that's a good win for us. That doesn't even account for what natural immunity we might have achieved over the last few months with folks who have, who have had COVID-19 and are uh, recovered and moving through that process. We've got almost 90% of our faculty who are in the classroom that have, have had the vaccine. And, and you're right, we, we are not mandating it and we're not mandating it because we don't think we have the legal authority to do so. That rests with the, the North Carolina Commission on, on Public Health. And so um, we are um, uh, eagerly awaiting to see what, what they do and uh, we'll adapt accordingly as that evolves. We're talking to Philip Rogers. He is the Chancellor of East Carolina University here in the studios of pirate radio great to have chancellor rogers with us once again and we're talking about the the vaccine although you can still get covid19 with the vaccine it definitely from everything i've seen and read it definitely lessens the symptoms and the uh, severity of it uh, and most people from what i'm hearing uh, in the ho- from the hospital folks is the majority of folks in the hospital have not received the vaccine so it seems like the vaccine is keeping people from uh, hospitalization too yeah that, that's exactly right we're, we're seeing about 99 percent of the people who have covid right now in the hospitals uh, have the delta variant and uh, based on the latest numbers that i've seen uh, less than 10 percent of the people who um, are in the hospital are uh, are vaccinated so well over 90 percent in the hospital are 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 unvaccinated so that's why we're pushing that uh, that strategy so aggressively around around the vaccine i ran you know and and this pandemic has created such uh, fear in so many folks and you know it, it's across the spectrum some folks are angry about it some folks are scared to death some fo- and it, and some folks don't care I mean it really is every emotion you can think of with this thing I ran into someone earlier this week and they they were convinced oh the, the, the schools they're gonna have to shut down again they're gonna I said I don't know I don't think so I, I said I think they're moving forward and this isn't like last year um, for the folks that are the naysayers and go oh they're just back here on campus so they can get the tuition then you're going to send everyone home to virtual learn again what do you say to those folks well the the rumors are definitely rampant uh everywhere and i heard as of yesterday that the university was coming out with a big announcement to uh to go online i've heard that uh we were going online for two weeks i've heard all kinds of things uh that uh, are not factual and so it's uh, it is it's not in the cards for us to to make a, a pivot like we did in the, the fall of 2020. We think we have uh, the right mitigation factors in play. We have the right experts helping us analyze the data on a daily basis. I just got off the phone before I came over here with uh, Dr. Silvernell, the uh, public health director in, in Pitt County. I'm on the phone with him on a regular basis, uh, spending time with the folks over at, uh, at Vidant, getting a good feeling of their capacity uh, to be able to handle surges over there. And you know, we're doing things like encouraging masking, we're encouraging uh, uh, people to get the vaccine, but uh, we're also engaging in education uh, opportunities. Uh, we, um, we're we expanding our testing uh, as of today, and so we're going to be doing more PCR tests. We're going to be testing our unvaccinated students on uh, campus on a weekly basis. We're working really hard to encourage um, uh, our instructors and leaders in the classroom to do simple things like set up seating charts and take attendance so that if we find an isolated incident in the classroom, we can pinpoint it in a precision way and be able to move those specific students out of the classroom, but not disrupt an entire class as how, we have in the past. How do you think this has affected enrollment, good or bad? And, and you know, what, what effects of that are you seeing from 
this situation this past year yeah, and a half. It's a complex picture, um, and it's it's one that we haven't actually been able to really put our finger on in a very fine-tuned way over the last couple of weeks, especially those weeks leading up to uh, the final deadline for registration and move-in and ultimately the, the first day of classes, which was on the 23rd. And what was challenging for us was that it was difficult to predict student and parent behavior uh, during this time. I think a lot of them were having that deja vu moment of, are these campuses going to shift again? And do we want to put our money on the line before we, you know, we send our kids? I've met so many students who came from Maine. I met one from Hawaii. I mean, that's a big investment to um, move across the country or even to move from Charlotte. So we have a student from Hawaii. We have a student from Hawaii. I helped her, uh, I helped her and her family move, uh, move into the dorm. Would uh, not have guessed that. On the first day of classes, (laughs) believe it or not, we do. But, um, so it was it was difficult during the um, sort of the predictive modeling process to be able to pinpoint with any amount of confidence exactly what our what our numbers were were going to look like. Now every day that we get a little bit closer to uh, Census Day, which is September third, we're we're getting a better picture of what we think is going to happen. Um, you know, we had a uh, we had about twenty eight thousand eight hundred or so students during this past year. I think one of the things that uh, is important is to look at enrollment across the higher education context pretty broadly. And uh, some of my colleagues from the National Student Clearinghouse, which is a group that I worked with up in D.C. for uh, for the eight years that I was there, uh, they're one of the largest researchers on enrollment in the country. Their numbers are showing that over the course of the year in the with the impact of COVID, we've seen nationally about a 6% decline in first-time, full-time freshmen on college campuses. Now, we're not going to be <laughs> anywhere near that. I think we'll probably end up flat from a headcount standpoint or maybe a little bit down, uh, n- uh, nowhere near the 6% range. I think community colleges are seeing 10 to 12% uh, declines in enrollment, so it's a pretty scary pretty scary picture out there in terms of what the future holds and it's causing everybody to to rethink their strategies in terms of how to attract students yeah and i think as you take a look into that future you know right now you're just trying to get through this year and i get it but you've got as chancellor you've got to have a big picture and a long game to this deal and the future of higher education student continues to change and look different and the pool is getting smaller for the number of uh, college-age kids, you know, that 18 to 22 demographic that's the traditional college student is getting smaller and smaller. So, you know, the, the competition for those students heats up. Uh, you probably will look at the more non-traditional student round, I imagine, going forward, too. We're, we're going to have to. Um, you, you know, this concept of diversifying our enrollment portfolio is real. I think the days, uh, the traditional days of relying on large freshman classes are over uh, for most every institution of higher education in America, maybe with the exception of your Ivies and uh, some of your major uh, public flagships that are that are those big name brand institutions that are that carry some of that medallion status uh, that, uh, that we think about traditionally. Um, most of us, you know, there's 4,000 colleges and universities in, in the higher education market. A large percentage of those are gonna have to start thinking about enrollment more like a puzzle uh, as opposed to a, a straight line. And with the puzzle, you have to bring together many different pieces. You have to think about, you know, how do we bring together those non-traditional students? How do we uh, bring together those individuals who have maybe some college but but no degree, who might be working adults that we can bring back into the fold to get a credential or a certification of some sort? 
yeah, veterans, military students. Uh, this is going to be a big uh, puzzle we're going to have to put together over time. We're going to have to leverage our digital tools and, and online learning and really start to think out of a box in, in the ways that we haven't in a long time. Philip, you inherited a university that, uh, you know, especially with the COVID situation last year financially, wasn't uh, clicking on all cylinders. It was a situation where there were furloughs across campus. There were budget cuts or budget freezes. How is the university now doing financially as a whole? And then what about the COVID money? Because I've seen reports that there's a lot of money available, just like individuals and businesses uh, were able to tap into some funds. Universities were able to tap into some funds. Was ECU able to do that or the UNC system? And if so, how much was ECU able to get? And then once again, the big picture as far as the financial health of the university. Yeah, there's there's so many dimensions of the the financial health of a public university. We've got uh, we've got the traditional state funds that that come in year over year. And happy to talk a little bit about the budget process with the legislature this year, if you'd like. That was by every stretch of the imagination a huge win for for higher education in North Carolina. So we're doing really great on on that side of the house, and we're incredibly fortunate to have some strong advocates in the General Assembly who have stepped up for ECU this year in in ways that that um, uh, that we haven't been able to generate uh, as an institution in a long time. And I think a lot of that has to do with rebuilding the trust with, mm-hmm. with those folks and showing them that we're going to be good good stewards of, of, their, uh, of the state's resources and the public's resources. We've got private funding sources, and then, of course, we've got tuition and fees and, uh, and many other different means. And so uh, we'll know a little bit more again on September 3rd about what that tuition portfolio will look like once we know what our final numbers are. Again, I think we're likely to be somewhere in the flat to a little bit down range, and so uh, we'll have to adapt accordingly uh, on, on that front. I, I would describe us as uh, fiscally stable uh, uh, at the moment, moving in the right direction. Uh, the COVID money helped a lot. Uh, we were all of higher education was in a really challenging position financially in terms of the the losses that were created, particularly among our auxiliary enterprises. So think uh, housing, dining, um, parking, uh, and areas like that. And so first round of stimulus funding, we got somewhere around, I think, $19 million, $20 million or so. Uh, second round was in the 20 to 25 range. And for those first two rounds, those were more uh, reactive rounds where there we were really in a moment of panic. Uh, all of higher education was where we were seeing the dollars, uh, the revenues not come in because the students weren't on campus. Mm-hmm. The fans weren't able to be in the stands and buy tickets. And so we, we got to a place where we were able to plug some holes with those resources. Sources. This final round was the biggest chunk of dollars that came in. We got close to $55 million wow. in one-time federal stimulus uh, dollars. It's and a nice direct deposit of the bank account it's, there. It's a nice direct deposit. Yeah. And it's been a, it was an interesting journey for me because I was at the American Council on Education when this started, and we were on the front lines of advocating for that mm-hmm. money with the federal government. And all of a sudden, I come to ECU, and I was on the end of being the beneficiary of, of yeah. that work. Saw both sides of that. Got to see both <laughs> yeah. sides of it. And what I think was great about that that final round was that we were able to use it uh, in a much more forward-thinking, strategic way. And so we set five uh, or so priorities for how to use the $55 million. Half of it automatically went to emergency student aid. So if students had serious challenges funding their tuition or housing or whatever it may be, they could apply for emergency grants. And then the remaining 25 to $27 million we put into uh, public health uh, mitigation strategies that were using right now to pay for testing and vaccines and, and things like that. 
Uh, we're, we're focusing in on cybersecurity, uh, student access. So you saw where we uh, uh, forgave the debt of uh, a number of students on our campus uh, so that they didn't have the burden uh, coming back to school this semester. And then um, and a number of other things around student success and digital technologies that help us get ready for that next uh, change wave in, in higher education. So Finan- it was a big deal. Financial picture much better than it was 12 months ago. Be- better than it was 12 months ago. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's ever been a year in higher education where there hasn't been a budget cut of some sort. And so um, we always have our scenarios in our back pocket and we're always ready to um, to make strategic adjustments as needed. We'll probably be at that point at some point uh, over the course of this fiscal year as we learn more about what the enrollment picture looks like. But uh, we're feeling uh, uh, cautiously optimistic at the moment. Speaking of money and budget, where is it, uh, you know, it was close that EC was going to get budgeted with that money for the new school of medicine. I don't know if that was included in the new budget, uh, we, if it got passed. I, I know there was some talk about that. Um, just give me the quick notes about the school of medicine and if it will have the money to build a new one. And also this new partnership with Vident that uh, eventually is basically kind of merging the two from what I understand and uh, you know, gonna form some type of ECU health type of deal. What If you can give me the kind of the cliff notes version of that. Sure, the, um, the state budget was a huge win for us. Uh, the governor, the house and the Senate all included $215 million for uh, a new medical education building uh, for the Brody School of Medicine in the budget. And so assuming they can all come together around the conference committee and final negotiations, it very well may be one of the the largest investments um, in a capital infrastructure in the in the in our uh, state's history for Eastern North Carolina, which would enable you to build a new Brody School of Medicine, correct? It'll enable facility. us to, to build a new facility on yeah. our health. What do you do with the old one? Tear it down? Uh, we'll we'll continue to renovate it, uh, <laughs> make it look a little more uh, sophisticated yeah. uh, than it does from the outside at the moment. But uh, it's desperately needed. It'll yeah. allow us to do a bunch of things like uh, expand our medical school class from eighty six to one hundred and twenty, and to be able to take advantage of this yeah. partnership. With and the Vident. the merger with Vident, and I say merger, partnership, whatever you want to call it. Why the need to do that? Well, you know, we've been on a, a journey with our our local hospital partner, and I and I say it that way, local hospital partner, because when I grew up here, it was Pitt County Memorial Hospital, yep. then it became University Health Systems, and then eventually uh, Vident Health with the with the name change there, and. We have shared missions. Uh, our shared missions are focused on uh, advancing the healthcare and the well-being of uh, rural citizens in Eastern North Carolina. There's about 1.5 million patients that we can collectively serve in that in that space, and and we know that we're stronger together. Uh, ECU brings the education and research part of that mission. Uh, Vitam brings a, a core uh, understanding of uh, what clinical care means to those populations, and. Uh, we're working hard to bring those two groups together in a way that allows for shared leadership and shared accountability. I'm hearing Vidant's going to be rebranded as ECU Health. Is that still the the plan? That's the goal. That's the goal, uh, to really leverage the university's uh, brand in a way to create an integrated academic health enterprise uh, that can be um, uh, a strong competitor in the market of, of Eastern North Carolina to be able to actually serve the needs of our of our state citizens. Uh, speaking of money and buildings, uh, the Brewster Building, unfortunately, making headlines for the wrong reasons uh, a week or two ago. You know, look, I went here in the 90s and the Brewster Building wasn't very nice back then. 
I, you know, is it just a coincidence that you've had a certain number of staff that has had, you know, cancers from there, or is there is there an issue with the Brewster building? I know it's something you guys have looked into. Yeah, we're, we we looked into it in 2019 and had a pretty firm opinion from from public health professionals uh, during that time that there was no correlation or or impact uh, of the building itself to individual health statuses. Um, and uh, when it was raised again, it was an important enough. Um, question that we wanted to continue to double down and, and do our due diligence on it when when the question was raised by a couple of faculty members in in that building and so we've been uh, partnering with an external consulting firm we've been leveraging federal partners and and other uh, state level uh, organizations to ensure that we're uh, we're creating a space where our employees feel safe and comfortable working we have no reason to believe there's any tie uh, to this building based on the the data that we have uh, with these cases and uh, we're going to continue to to do all of our due diligence to convince and ensure that the public uh, understands that that's the case we do have reason to believe it is the ugliest building on campus but (laughs) i think it's also important to to that point um, the brewster building is actually you know this is four buildings yes it is and so the wing that we're talking about is it always reminded me of prison cell block a b (laughs) c d so in block a yeah uh, there's no classrooms. This is primarily office space. Right. And so student uh, engagement doesn't happen there unless it's a unless it's a meeting with a faculty yeah. member for office hours. And so we, we want to assure parents and faculty and staff and students that uh, ECU is a safe place to be. And so we're doing our we're doubling down uh, to make sure we can uh, we can tell that story. We're talking with Chancellor Philip Rogers. He is the uh, head of East Carolina University heading into now completing six months on the job. And uh, how are you spending most of your time now, this first six months? Where, where's most of your time allocated? What's your normal day like? Yeah, that's a really good question. There's not a normal day. Um, you wake up and you have a full calendar. And as this afternoon unfolded, uh, what I thought was going to be on my calendar from uh, 8 to 10 was completely revamped because um, uh, of COVID-related questions. So we got in and we put a video out this morning. We we're going to roll out some uh, some new mitigation measures this afternoon. But I think what I think what I enjoy most during the day is engaging with students. Um, I try to get out on campus, regardless of what my schedule looks like, and be present and visible with our with our students each and every day. Um, and I like to do the same with our alums and with our local community members because I'm I'm one person. Um, I've got a set of eyes and ears, but I like to think about my leadership role through. Uh, the lenses of the people who are a part of this community and who are uh, who we're serving at ECU, and I think the best way to do that is to spend time with them. And so uh, that that's the best part of my day is getting out and connecting with our people. My chancellor was Dr. Richard Aiken during my days, whose name is on my diploma. And I remember he was much like that too. He was a guy you'd always see him out walking the campus, engaging with students, and it was I think his approval rating was so high because he was such a likable guy, and he made himself accessible, and he was someone you could go up and talk to as a student and uh, those are my memories when I think back when I was a student with the chancellor sometimes the chancellors I've seen other chancellors just sit in the ivory tower and don't want to talk to students and almost view that as a headache part they just want to you know sit in the office I I do like the fact that you and I've seen this and I've heard it from people do like to get out and and, you know be actually be on campus you you have to do it I think the first day of classes I went to four classes I did a, a ballet class 
a jazz dance class, biology and Shakespeare. And so I got to hang with some students in classes. We did Kona Ice in the afternoon where we gave out uh, slushies to folks on the uh, outside the main campus student center. And today, Troy, uh, keep your eyes off of Instagram and TikTok because I did my first TikTok dance oh my gosh. With, uh, with three or four students on the mall uh, about the importance of wearing masks. So, um, so we'll student engagement is uh, top priority for me. Uh, ECU Athletics, we haven't talked about that yet. We've yeah. Our audience is very engaged and interested in what's going on with ECU Athletics and uh, as we on the verge of football season here. Uh, let's talk about athletics a little bit. First of all, the big picture, all this conference realignment talk. You know, you've got uh, the, the SEC expanding. You know, what's the, what's the future of the American? Is, is it a conference that can grow? Does it need to stay the same? Will it be, you know, cherry pit? Will some of the teams leave? What do you think is going to happen down the road with all this conference stuff? Yeah, I think one of the advantages of being in this moment is that uh, this is not my first uh, ride in the midst of a conference realignment shakeup. And um, my last tour of duty at ECU, uh, it was, uh, I was with Steve Ballard and, and Terry Holland and the crew, and we uh, made the shift over from Conference USA to the what was then the Big East. Yeah. It was a football-only uh, invite, and um, I spent hours and hours and hours, probably exclusively, uh, focused on on that shift in in our status over to the Big East, and, and then eventually, the, I'll never forget the press conference in Dr. Uh, Ballard's office that day when they announced it with you and Dr. Ballard and Terry. It was a big deal. Yeah, it, it, it was a really big deal, and it was something that um, you, you learn how to how to. Um, to work in collaboration with other presidents and chancellor's offices around the country. And I think that was something that uh, I, I was pretty intentional about in terms of my, my time at ACE was was building relationships with presidents from um, from Power Five conferences. Uh, they served on our board, uh, have their cell phone numbers, we text, we, we talk, we communicate on a regular basis. And um, so that's a, a value add, I think, for ECU right now that we, we have access to pick up the phone and, and call the folks who are, who are making some of these decisions. Um, I, you know, I, I think we have a strong, stable conference uh, with the American Athletic Conference. We have good presidents. We have strong schools that um, are are good partners with East Carolina University. We want to be affiliated with the University of Houston's and the Cincinnati's and Central Florida's and uh, SMU's and uh, and schools like that that bring a lot of value uh, to our conference. And so, um, I'm on the phone pretty consistently with uh, with those folks. We had a call this past Monday. Uh, we do we don't do them on a regular basis on all kinds of topics that are emerging. In, in inter- intercollegiate athletics, um, I have no reason to believe that uh, we are nothing but strong and stable in the American. Um, I think a lot of eyes are going to be on the Big Twelve uh, over the next couple of weeks. I don't know that they'll move fast, but they're they're the group that we're going to have to pay a lot of attention to in terms of whether they try to uh, expand their state of play or whether they uh, try to make themselves available to other conferences uh, around the country and. A lot of it's going to come down to you know what the what the revenue shares look like. I, th- I think the last time we went through this conference realignment uh, shakeup, uh, we were all talking about eyeballs on TVs, uh, TV viewership, and uh, the digital world has changed us a lot now. We've got streaming services and revenue that can emerge from so many different angles that uh, there's a Again, like enrollment, there's a puzzle that has to be put together here. So um, I don't know that we'll see anything moving too quickly, but uh, we're going to keep our eyes on the Big 12. As you know, in, in major college athletics, football really drives the, oh, yeah. the ship, so to speak, and uh, it's no different 
uh, here at East Carolina. You know, baseball has had tremendous success, and, and, and um, Cliff Gowan does an awesome job with his staff and, and, and the guys. But football is the revenue sport to help fund everything. Where do you see the future of ECU football? Well, I, I think it's um, in terrific shape under the leadership of of Mike Houston. And uh, I think Mike and, and John have uh, really worked hard over the last uh, couple of years here to um, stabilize the culture of our program. Um, I think, you know, just having simply been out at practice a couple of times over the last few weeks, you can feel the discipline among the team. Um, the roster is stable. Uh, there's a ton of respect for Mike and his coaching staff among those student athletes. And uh, I, have a, I have high hopes for this season. Uh, I, th- I think Mike has really designed a, a strategy that's uh, a sophisticated one in the world of, uh, of college football. And uh, I think he's uh, framing um, uh, a strategy in a way that allows us to be successful on the field and off the field, because uh, it's a total package. Part of this. Um, how how much communication do you have with the athletic director? Are you kind of hands on with athletics, or are you would you consider yourself more hands off? Uh, no, I'm very hands on. Uh, I spend a lot of time talking to John, if not uh, every other day, uh, most definitely a couple of times a week. And um, it's important that we stay close. It's important we stay connected and are aware of all the the moving issues in the field, so that so that we can can be ready for him. I, uh, on uh, the first day of classes, I went over and uh, participated in the all-hands-on-deck meeting of the athletics department, got to talk a little bit about compliance and encourage the team and let them know how much their their chancellor supports them. And, and I think that's an important signal to send that uh, not always do you have uh, leaders at the institutions as uh, supportive of the intercollegiate athletics program. And uh, we're 100% supportive of what they're doing. Only have a minute or two left before we let you get out of here. Any new projects the university is working on that Pirate Nation may not know about? Any new buildings coming down the line? You know, things like that. We talked a little bit about the you know potential new school of medicine, but other than that, what else is going that, on? That's a big one. Get get ready as you come over the uh, the I guess it's called the the Leo Jenkins uh, Freeway or Bridge mm-hmm. or the Andrew Brest Bridge, the Tenth Street Connector, to be able to see the new life sciences and biotechnology building really come to life here. When's that going to open? It looks like it's getting close. So I think we're going to try to wrap up construction hopefully by the end of September. Uh, get the uh, furniture and the interiors uh, stocked up in November, and then hopefully break ground sometime November or December. And that's going to be a big deal for connecting with the biopharma industry and businesses across eastern North Carolina. And that's really the first stake in the ground uh, as we move towards Intersect East, uh, which you're going to see begin to be under uh, development over in that warehouse district. uh, And as people come in, that will really be their first impression of East Carolina University now. It it will be. And what a a change it is. You know, when I left here uh, eight or nine years ago or so, uh, that that was not the entry point into to East Carolina University, and now um, we know that when we can get prospective students and their families here, this place sells itself, and that's only going to be an, an additional asset to doing that. I'll let you have the final word. Uh, your message to the Pirate Nation that's listening to you right now. My my message to the Pirate Nation is to get fired up for Thursday night. We've got a big game again against Appalachian State. Uh, we will we will take no quarter, and we got to get in there, and we got to come out with a win and start this season off on the right foot. And they want to want us to fill up uh, Dowdy Ficklin on September the 11th and show up for our Pirates because they need us now more than ever. Chancellor Philip Rogers, great to see you in studio with us again. Thank you for your time. Always enjoy our talk and uh went by very quickly <laughs> this time we could we, we could need keep an hour. going we uh i know we need an hour next time but this 30 minutes flew by but i uh, really appreciate you joining us look forward to doing it again soon great to be here thanks troy
And that's another great episode of the Pirate Radio Podcast with Troy Dreyfus and his special guest, ECU Chancellor Philip Rogers. Special thanks to our sponsor, White Claw Hard Seltzer. Look for White Claw at your favorite retailer next time you're out shopping. White Claw Hard Seltzer, available in five fruit flavors, two grams of carbs, gluten-free, and only 100 calories. Nothing tastes quite like it. We'll be back very soon with another edition of the Pirate Radio Podcast. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in your Apple Store. You can visit our website at pr927fm.com, and you can also follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and information. Until next time, have a great day, everyone. You have been listening to the Pirate Radio Podcast, brought to you by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Nothing tastes quite like it. Visit whiteclaw.com today. White Claw Hard Seltzer, proudly distributed by Coastal Beverage. Please drink responsibly. The Pirate Radio Podcast is an exclusive presentation by Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation.